You're listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Church Podcast. As we have really been here 10 months and, and really kind of gathering community, we are, we mentioned this before, but we are in culture building mode still. So I'm very encouraged that people are coming. I'm very encouraged that you're here. We've had a really amazing time just getting to know one another, building community. But ultimately, we're still laying that foundation of what is the culture that we're looking to build here. And this is the things we've been going after. And part of the culture that we want to build at, at JC Sacramento is this, is that I, we have a vision to see a community of people that live out the normal Christian life. And this is something that really actually takes some time and deliberate in that we want to see people live the normal Christian life. Part of the reason why you will see a lack of programs in, the, in this early stage of the church is not because we're anti-programs, not because we're opposed to programs in the church, but because we're wanting to build a culture and, I, and we're walking that line of... If we, if we create a program around community and I remove that program and community doesn't continue to happen, then we haven't actually built a culture. And, and, and what I am walking the line of is I don't want to build programs for what is the normal Christian life. And again, I, I'm not opposed to programs and churches, and I really do believe that many programs can help create culture and can help facilitate life. What I am opposed to is removing the sense of personal responsibility that is to be on the life of a believer in a community. Many people are looking for somebody else to build something so that we, I can pop in it, do what God's called me to do and go. But, but I, we're not looking to build something so that you can live the normal Christian life. We're looking at calling you to nor, live the normal Christian life. I don't, anybody have dogs? So again, I, I didn't really grow up with dogs, but then I married my wife and it's just unbelievable the zoo we've had at our house. And I've talked about this, but she loves dogs. Like my kids love dogs. Like we're a big dog, big dog family now, like just a big dog family. And, and we have two dogs, uh, Lily, who is special and needs a lot of help. She's only seven, but she looks like she's 18. And then Dash, this other dog. And and uh, my kids love these dogs. My wife loves this dog. She wants to have, you know, every Christmas and every birthday, she's like, you're getting me a puppy, right? I'm like, no, I'm not getting a puppy. Seriously, that's all I want is a puppy. But when we got Dash, who I think he's like four, he's this English golden retriever. We got him and I very quickly learned that this dog just wants to chew up everything. <laughs> everything. Like it was, it was chewing holes in our, uh, in the, uh, you know, the, the wall at our house. It was tearing up just large portions of carpet. If you come in our house to this day, you will see shoes on every countertop in the house because you just learned it's, it's actually kind of gross, but that's just where you put them. I walked in the house the other day and there was like two sets of uh, shoes on our kitchen table. And because you learn very quickly, if you put your shoes down, gone, they're ruined. Like you can't, this is kind of, and, and then I won't even talk about the yard and I, he just tore up our entire drip system. So I go out there, I, I pay some guy cause I'm not handy at all, like at all. So I pay some guy to come in and put it all back. And then we read online that if you put cayenne pepper on it, 
it will stop the dog from chewing. So we got as much cayenne pepper as we can. I've just coated the entire drip system in cayenne pepper. I, I think he thought it was a seasoning because <laughs> a day later, tore the entire drip system back up. And I could just sit here for a while and tell you about this. So I finally got to a point where I'm like, and it wasn't just he was tearing everything up too, is that he would just take, he wouldn't obey at all. He would just take off. If the door was open for a second, gone. gone. Still this day, if the door's open, my kids are like, where's dad? Where's dad? He would take off in the neighborhood and just run, not look back, just run. Have nowhere to go, be gone. You can't catch him. I, uh, the only reason we would catch him is because he'd kind of get interested in some neighbor uh, four streets over. It was just, it was so crazy. So I'm like, I got to train this. I got to get this dog trained. I need this dog trained so he'll do what I tell him to do. So I go and sign up for a class at PetSmart. And I bring my dog, who doesn't walk on a leash at all, is like, it, it, I can't get him to even walk on a leash at, at all. I, I'm going to be... So I, I walk him in and we sit down and he's with all these other dogs there and, and this, and I, and I'm like, okay, I'm here for you to train my dog. Please get my dog to obey, walk on a leash, stop chewing everything. And they start this class and they're not actually training my dog. They start telling me everything I'm supposed to be doing. I was legitimately thrown off by this. I was sitting there in the chair and they're like, well, you know, you gotta, and I'm like, oh, hold on a second. I'm not here for you to train me. I'm here for you to train my dog. Don't train me. I need you to get my dog to stop whatever it's doing and just obey when I call it. Can you do that? And they're like, well, no. We, and literally, I actually wanted to go in and go, hey, you actually shouldn't call this dog training. You should call this owner training. This is false advertisement. You told me that this was a dog training class. And really, you spent the end. Every single week was trying to tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. Stop that. Tell my dog, like, how to figure this out. This is kind of like, this is what we want the church to be. Like, we, we're like, hey, I, you know, I kind of need you to do some of the Christian life, and so I'm going to come in, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, 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 our job's to actually just equip you for the ministry. It's like, whoa, hold on a second. I've paid money to sit in these chairs, right? I'm bringing my tithe every week. I'm pretty sure I'm not looking for you to train. I need you to train my dog. This is what, this is what it is. We want somebody to set something up that we can kind of pop into to live the normal Christian life and then pop out of. Listen, this is not what church is about. This isn't the culture we're trying to create. Again, I'm not opposed to structure. I'm not opposed to facilitating life and, and all that. But, but the reality is that, that, that church is to come alongside people to equip them to do ministry. And sometimes it's like, whoa, whoa, like, I don't, like, I, I, I didn't, I stopped going to the class. I kid you not. And now my dog does nothing. Like, I, I, we, I can't ever take him on a walk. He, he, uh, it's bad. But anyways, because I was like, I stopped halfway through because I'm like, wait, are you really trying to, wait, I don't want to get better. So my, I just want you to fix my dog. That's what I want. But, but this is not the culture we're trying to create. And, and we've gone through this type of stuff, but the church is not a business or a corporation. It's a family. Now listen, there is structure as if there's structure in family. And, and we believe in the fivefold, and we believe in structure, and we believe in leadership and all that stuff. But the reality is the church is a family. It's not a business or corporation. And when you begin to approach the church as a business or corporation, it's problematic. It's problematic because many people come to church as if it's a restaurant, not a house. 
I, 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 I'm not like belligerent about this, but I expect really good customer service and I am really picky. So when I go to, you know, when I go to a restaurant, I'm like, I'd like this, not that, this, this, make it this way, little light on that, you know. And, 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 and I, I don't know, I'm American, right? This is our God-given right <laughs> to order how I want. And I don't expect people from the UK to understand this. God gave us this inalienable right of being able to say, listen, I want, so when I go to a restaurant, like I want things a certain way. And then, you know, and if I sit down and they don't come help me soon enough, you know, if I'm sitting there for 10 minutes and nobody's coming, I don't throw a fit. I don't make a scene. I don't get on anybody. I just don't come back to that restaurant. Like, I don't, I don't, I'm not mean about it. I'm just like, no, I don't go there. Why not? Because they took 10 minutes before they came and asked me for water, about water, right? This is why I don't do it. Can you imagine if I approached my house like that? I mean, can you imagine if I came to my house, walked in the front door, sat down at my table? I'd like some water. <laughs> and then 10 minutes later, when nobody got up and got me water... I get up and I'm like, I'm never coming back here again. This is crazy. Can you imagine if I came to my house, sat down, it's like, I'd like a menu. What are you cooking? Like my wife, what? Whatever you're getting off your butt to cook, that's what's getting cooked for dinner tonight. If I came in and turned to my wife and said, I'd like some water, please. I don't, I don't even know what, I don't even know what happened. I'm too scared to try that. I literally am too scared to come in my house, sit down, and, and my kids have tried it once. And it like, like, this doesn't go well. It doesn't fly. When I sit down and go, hey, what do we, you know, what's on the menu? Whatever you're getting up to cook. This is a house, not a restaurant. And listen, when I approach my house, and listen, when I go to a restaurant, I'm telling you, I won't go back if I felt like it wasn't good or they didn't, if I couldn't be picky enough or they were too slow. I, I you know, I'm like, I'll go find another place. And we, we think that somehow when, when I, if I approach my house like a restaurant, it is problematic in more ways than one for me. We can't come to the church as if it's a corporation that is there to serve me and I get frustrated when it's not meeting all of the needs that I have. When, the church, when, when our job is to equip you to live the normal Christian life. This is, again, what we've talked about. The analogy that we've used is the Thanksgiving analogy. This is my intro, and I'm going to get into life and life in a second. But this, this level of life on life that we're about to talk about is, is only going to come when you understand. We are not showing up to a restaurant. We are showing up to a house. And those are two very different things. This is not a corporation. I'm not showing up to Home Depot. Where if somehow somebody doesn't meet me as soon as I'm there, I'll go somewhere else. I will take my business somewhere else. The minute you begin to talk like, I will take my business somewhere else, you're, you're missing the point of what the church is. It's not a place where we bring our business. It's a place where we come and find family. It's a place where we come and get involved. It's a place where we come and contribute. It's a place where we come and strengthen and bring who we are. It's not a place where I bring my business. 
right? And again, listen, I, I'm that guy at the business. Like I, anytime somebody where I'm spending money, anytime where I'm spending money and somebody makes me feel like an inconvenience for being there, I, I just, I blow, I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. Is this an inconvenience that I'm spending money at your business like this? But that's not church. And just because you bring tithes and offerings, like that's a gift you're giving to God. It's not, it's not like, oh, I'll take my business elsewhere. I didn't like how you looked at me. I walked by that usher. They didn't even say hi. Mm, you can do that to me again, huh? I'll take, oh, I'll take my business somewhere else. Listen, we're, we're like we laugh. The analogy we've used is that church, church community, it's family. And so when we gather together, this is Thanksgiving. Now, again, I, I grew up in a home. I did, was, I did not really know my grandparents. I didn't have extended relatives. My family was me, my sister, and my parents. So, you know, we talked about this. At Christmas, we'd sit down, and everybody would watch each other open their gift. That's great. Love it. You know, we talk about the gift, and we go to the next person. They'd open Because there's four of us. And Thanksgiving was kind of us four around the table. And then I married into CJ's family. And they have, I mean, they have people they call family that aren't even family. I don't, it's like, I'm like, well, that's my uncle. That's your uncle? Well, he's not really my uncle, but really, he's, I guess, he's my, because I call him uncle, and he's been here my whole life. I'm like, I didn't even, I'm like, that's not even your uncle. Why would you call him uncle? <laughs> she called people brothers that were not her physical, not even like stepbrothers. That's my brother. So, okay, well, so that's your dad? Well, no, it's not my dad. Well, no, he's, no, he's just been around for a long time. Like, <laughs> can't call him brother, right? Yeah, well, I absolutely can. This is how they did. And so Christmas was just this chaotic. I remember the first time I was at Christmas, everybody was opening presents, and they weren't waiting for anybody else. <laughs> I was like, hold on, I haven't finished opening my present that we're then going to talk about for a while and look at. <laughs> Y'all just moved on. Stop it. Well, Thanksgiving was the same way. We came to Thanksgiving and it's just like, a, it's just, it's beautiful chaos. It's this, this massive, so many people there. And they got people that are not blood related that showed up to their Thanksgiving. <laughs> but what I found was that when you gather Thanksgiving, we all want this to be the, and, and I, I quickly fell in love with how they do this stuff because I'm like, Thanksgiving is, this is unbelievable. This is, this is so much fun. I love coming to Thanksgiving. And when we come, everybody contributes. This is the analogy we've used. Like if you come to Thanksgiving, everybody jumps in because we want to make Thanksgiving the best Thanksgiving possible. We're all there and we love doing it. And you know what? We do stuff we don't even feel called to. Do you know what my job is every year? Potato peeler. I don't even know how I fell into this role, but I fell into this role 10, 15 years ago. And now it's like, well, that's what you do every year. Well, I don't want it. Like, doesn't matter. Potato peeler. That's your job. And and, and, I, and I'm the potato peeler. I got it. And I'm pretty good at it, actually. After all these years, I'm not going to brag, but I'm pretty legit. And so, so I peel potatoes, and I peel sweet potatoes, and, 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 and regular potatoes, and I do that. That's my job. And you know what? I love it. That's what I do. I love it. And you know why? Because I'm doing it with people. I'm doing it with my family. I'm doing it with brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and people I don't even think are blood related. Like, I don't know how you got in here, but I'm really glad you're here, man. This is awesome. You want to peel? And this is, it's just this experience. And you know what? I don't get any credit for the sweet potatoes. Like her, her granny who's 93. She has this unbelievable, it's like, it's almost like the rest of the meal is just so you can have this sweet potato, whatever it is that she makes. It's really unbelievable. 
And, and, and I have in, in my heart, nobody gives me credit for it, but in my heart, I'm like, I had a part of that. <laughs> Those sweet potatoes didn't peel themselves. <laughs> they all give granny the credit for it. And I'm like, that's some of my handiwork right there. You like that pretty good? Yep. I peeled those sweet potatoes and yams. Like, this, this is Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving. And you know what's the crazy thing? Is that when somebody sits there and doesn't do anything to help at Thanksgiving, it's odd. You're either a little kid, hear me on this, or a really immature adult. Like, I'm not, it's a bad example, but you're, oh, you're that guy that just sits and watches TV while you kind of yell at everybody to bring you some food. Well, I'm over here slaving away at potatoes. But we don't even mind it. There's no way, there's, it's not even work. We love this stuff. And, and listen, if you consider this to be a family, then when we say being disengaged as family is dysfunctional. Being disengaged in family is just dysfunctional. So we're saying we want to be a functional, healthy family, not corporation or business. We want to be a healthy, functioning family, which means we all jump in. We all take responsibility. We're not looking for other people to do our Christian life for us. The other thing, and I'll tell you this, is, is that a healthy family is one of the most attractive and compelling things. I don't know if you, any of you grew up in dysfunctional homes and you had a friend maybe that had a, fun, a really healthy family. I just, you just want to be over there. Hey, can we go hang out at your house? Hey, can we hang out with your parents? Hey, can we go over there? There is something so attractive that the world's looking for when they see a healthy, functioning, thriving family. Because we all long for that. We all long for that. We all want to be a part of a family that's healthy. And that's what we're called to be in the earth is a really healthy, thriving family. And all, the, and all the mess that that looks like. As we start talking about life on life, the call to this is li live the normal Christian life. And the normal Christian life is not, like again, my job or our job that, that, that's leading this thing is this, to equip you for the work of the ministry. It's to encourage you and push you towards the presence of God and community. I'm convinced 99.9, if not 100% of everything you need is found in the presence of God and in community. And I want to get you there. I want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And I want to push you and challenge you and encourage you to go get into community and go get into the presence of God. Those are the two things that you need. It's, it, our job is to help establish in your life a firm foundation of belief systems from the word of God. So absolutely, we teach from scripture. We teach from the Bible because we, we want to create a firm foundation in your life where your belief systems are healthy and right established in the word of God. Absolutely. Listen, I pray for the sick. I disciple people. I pray, but I don't do those because I get paid. You know, well, uh, you, you know, you're the pastor. You should be praying for the sick. No, I should be praying for the sick because that's the normal Christian life. Well, you get paid to disciple people. I don't get paid to disciple people. We get paid to equip people to be disciplers. I disciple people because that's the normal Christian life. So these questions sometimes, again, are you all with me on this? And I, at some level, I'm doing this during the summer 
because in, in, in August and September is when just in the normal flow of life, there'll be a lot more. We're talking about what to do with people, how, how, where to put them, but there's going to be a lot more people that start flooding here in the fall. But the culture that we're trying to create is people that go, no, we live a normal Christian life. So when somebody says, hey, where's your new believers class? And again, I'm not opposed to any of this, right? Where's your new believers class? The answer is, what's well, in your living room? Hey, how do I get plugged into community? Well, you turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you want to come over for dinner? Like I'm saying, this sounds so simple, but this is the normal Christian life. You should be plugged into community. You should be involved in people's life. And listen, you should be looking for people that aren't. Not everybody that walks through these doors is going to have the courage to go, hey, you want to come over for dinner? But they, they'll have the courage to say yes when you invite them over to dinner. Not every new believer is going to understand what the normal Christian life looks like, but that's why we walk with them. Not every new believer or uh, immature is such a harsh word, but you know what I'm saying, or um, younger or whatever it is, that in their process of maturity, absolutely, not everybody's going to be on, but that's why we come and find them and we walk with them and we love them. This is what we do. When people say, where's the outreach and evangelism? I'm like, I don't know. What are you doing at work? Like, are you reaching people? Are you sharing the gospel? What do we do about the poor? Well, no, what are you doing about the poor? This is the question that we're going to continually ask. Because again, I, I, I don't want church to be, uh, people sometimes are really thrown off. Like I came here for you to train my dog. And you're trying to train me? I'll take my business elsewhere. Like this is, so there has to be this thing. There has to be, this is the culture we're trying to create. Will we have programs? Absolutely. Are we going to have things that take care of the poor? Absolutely. Are we going to? Yes, absolutely. But my first goal is just to see you equipped to live the normal Christian life, to pray, to be in discipleship and community, <laughs> to be in the presence of God, to get in your word. These are all things that have to happen. All right. That was literally my introduction. I don't know how far I'm going to get in this, but this is why it's called a series. <laughs> Second Kings. Chapter four, second Kings chapter four. Um, this is a story. Elisha there, uh, is a prophet in the day. Elijah has gone to heaven. Elisha is the man. He's got a servant called Gehazi with him. He goes through a city and there's a Shunammite woman who tells her husband, she says, hey, this Elisha's coming through. Let's build him a little apartment. So every time he comes through town, he'll have a place to stay and rest and work. So they build him this little apartment and, um, and Elisha wants to wants to repay them. This says, Gehazi, go find out what she wants. Does, does, she want an, does she want to be mentioned in front of the king? And she said, no, I, I, I'm amongst my people. I'm good. And Gehazi said, she doesn't have a son. She wants a son pretty bad. She doesn't have a son. So Elisha calls her and says, hey, you're going to have a son. And she like tells him like, hey, don't mess around with me. If you're, she said, don't mess, don't lie to me. Cause I can't take that if you're lying to me right now and messing around with me. I want a son. He says, no, you're, but he said, by this time next year, you'll have a son. So, so she has a son, like he said, her son grows up a little bit. He goes out to the field with his dad. He gets like a headache, comes back and dies in his mom's arm. Well, immediately she gets people. She says, we're going to the man of God. We're going to Elisha. She comes and she falls down before Elisha and Gehazi is there. And she says, listen, I told you, don't lie to me. Like I told you, don't mess around with me. This is what's going on. So this is, this is uh, Elisha's response. 
2 Kings 4.29. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready and take my staff in your hand and be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet him. And if anyone greets you, do not answer him. But lay my staff on the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child. But there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore, he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying on his bed, dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out on the child and the flesh of the child became warm. He returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. We, we want to build a culture of community. That's what we're looking for. Again, I want to get people in the presence of God. I want to get people in community. That's what we're going after. Because I believe that from the presence of God and from community come healthy, thriving believers that change cities. Right? So, so, so there's this, 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 this breathing in, breathing out. We're in the presence of God. We're in community. We're, we're, we're going in the city. We're in the presence of God. We're in community. We're going in the city. And this is where health and wholeness and, and, and all that stuff where you can be sent back to actually see cities transformed in one of the Lord. But this culture of community is, is critical because, and at the core of community is this issue called discipleship. So we want to build community here. But it's not just people that get together and are hanging out and having fun at a barbecue. That all is to facilitate a a discipleship relationship that begins to happen in our lives, both to us and through us. And and I'm more and more convinced that when we, that in John 15, which I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in John 15, when he says that you're called to bear fruit, a lot of fruit and fruit that remains, that that's in the context of loving one another. And I'm more and more convinced that fruit that remains in our life is people. It's people that we've loved really well. It's people that we've, laid our, uh, that we've laid our life down for. So, so at the heart of what we call community is this issue of discipleship. And, but, but discipleship, we, we have this misconception in the Western church the story of Elisha is this, this, this Shunammite woman comes to him and he, his first response is he takes his staff and he sends it with Gehazi. He says, go on ahead of me, lay the staff on this boy. Well, Gehazi does, he goes and lays the staff and the Bible says the boy did not awaken. It, what was required of Elisha was not that he sent his staff ahead, but was that he brought his life into the situation. God's like, I'm not going to awaken this boy because you send your staff. I'm going to awaken this boy when you actually come and get life on life with him. The awakening in this kid's life happened when Elisha got life eye to eye, cheek to cheek, hand to hand, when he laid on this boy and it didn't even happen at first. He had to get up. He walked, he paced, he prayed. He went and laid back down on him because God requires from us not just our gifts and talents, I'm going to tell you this right now. Your gifts and talents are not what will awaken people. Your life awakens people. Because God doesn't even flow, flow through gifts. He flows through life. What awakens people, the reason why God required Elisha's life was because life flowing through life awakens life. This is what we're going after. We want to see people awakened 
to the purposes of God, awaken to their identity in him, awaken. We want them to be awakened in this, but his life that's going to awaken them flows through the conduit of life. Not just the like, well, take my staff, it'll work. No, it won't work. Because what God requires from us is our life being poured into other people. This is what we're going to talk about in this series in, in the weeks to come. Is that God requires my life. And again, the reason why I'm telling you this whole introduction part's important, because if you think this is a business you're popping in and popping out of, you, you don't realize you'll miss this part. This is family, it's a house, and God requires your life. In the area of discipleship, the, the, people can hear teaching. We, we, have a, we have this misconception that discipleship is just the, infer, the, the delivery of information. So somehow coming up on the stage and giving you information is discipleship. No, it's teaching. Discipleship is where my life gets on your life. And quite frankly, people can hear teaching, but it must be reinforced in the context of discipleship if it's to have its greatest impact. Always, when I hear teaching, when that teaching is in the context of discipleship, that's where the greatest impact comes. Not, not, just, not just that I've heard information, it's that that information was in the context of walking with people in life. That's discipleship. Listen to this. Again, we have a Western mindset, which is very classroom-driven. It's very, so my job as a teacher is just to give you information and then kind of send you on your way. And we're, we're okay with that. We're like, that's thank you. Thank you for that information. But, but information alone doesn't transform. Well, tr truth transforms, but, but what he requires is our life. Listen to this real quick. Paul says this. I do not write these things to you to shame you. He's writing the Corinthians. I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, those are people that are teaching, giving information, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Now listen, sometimes we read this as a negative. Paul's not saying, I don't think it's a negative. Paul's saying, listen, you've got a lot of teachers. And that, that's good. He said, you only have a handful of fathers. And he was saying, and I'm one of them. So he's writing going, hey, hey, hold on a second. You got a lot of teachers. But I'm not just a teacher in your life. I'm a father in your life. And you only have a few of those. Because as a teacher, I can teach thousands. As a father, there's only a handful that I can disciple. And so it takes the body of Christ. Again, we have a concept of like, who disciples you? Joyce Meyer. Really? She's discipling you. Yes, she is. Okay. How often do you go to dinner with her and talk, you know? Well, never. Listen, I can be taught by many people, and we need that. Don't get me wrong here. We need to be taught the Word of God. And, and, uh, but discipleship happens when somebody's life comes and gets on my life. That's why you can't be doing it with a ton of people. That's why our goal in here is for people to love one another, but you're going to be in people's lives at a different capacity and different level. So, so, but, but listen to this. So Paul says, listen, I'm one of those fathers. And then li listen to what this says. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. He's not saying, therefore, I urge you, listen even more intently to what I am saying. He says, therefore, I urge you, imitate me. Come alongside me. See how I live and live like that. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son of the Lord. Listen to this. Who will remind you of my ways in Christ 
as I teach everywhere in the church. This is important. He's writing to his kids in the, in the, you know, in the faith. And he says, hey, listen, I'm sending Timothy to you. And you know what he's going to remind you of? Not my teachings. He's going to remind you of my ways as I teach. He's not going like, hey, I'm sending, uh, I'm sending Timothy with some new curriculum I wrote. He said, no, no, Timothy's going to come and he's going to remind you of my life as I teach. Life. The, the culture of community that we want to build in this house is going to take a level of personal responsibility because at its core is discipleship. It's discipleship. It's that in Paul's life, he had Barnabas. In Paul's life, he had the apostles. And in Paul's life, he had Timothy. That a healthy life has people pouring into them, has people they're walking with, and has people they're pouring into. Right? That life is flowing to me through people, that life is flowing around me with people, and that life is flowing to me through people. That's the normal Christian life. And what, I, what we're going to call you to is the culture we want to create is that. I want, listen, I want thousands of people to be saved in this area. But I want them saved into a family that actually says, hey, welcome to Thanksgiving. Here's a potato peeler. Let me, let me walk with you. And I'll go through the example that Jesus gave us, the example in scriptures, my own impact. But the people, and I'll share this maybe next week, but the people that impacted me the most are not just the ones that taught me, but are the ones that took their life and shared it with me. That's the most transformation for me has happened when somebody shares their life with me. And I'll tell you this, some of the best teachers are the ones that can actually share their life with you. But this is what we're going after. Life on life. This is, this is what I want to see happen. And I want, I think that the, that the most fruit comes from the fact. And even, as, even in a corporate setting like this, we're going to have thousands coming. They really are. Thousands are going to come. Already we've seen some great stuff and w- with growth and all that. But, but we're not just interested in gathering people. We're interested in putting people in a family. Which means like, okay, I'm about to get life on life with you. And we'll talk more about that. This has been the Jesus Culture Sacramento Podcast. For more information about the church, visit JesusCulture.com.